Is this frequency in use? Welcome to Southgate Vibes, a selection of the latest stories direct from Southgate Amateur Radio News. I'm Steve Richards, Golf 4 Hotel Papa Echo, and in this podcast, you're going to hear my personal picks of what is happening in amateur radio and the wider world of communications. Whether you're just starting out in ham radio or an experienced operator spinning around the spectrum for those rare and sometimes strange signals, I hope you'll find something to entertain you here. Welcome to Southgate Vibes. Many thanks for joining us as we seek out the radio-related stories for you once again. This is podcast number 39. Right, I know I've been banging on a lot about man-made noise causing serious impairment to the radio frequency spectrum. I may even have called it tantamount to a criminal act about which regulators seem wantonly to ignore. Well, here's a story from America on the subject, which starts so encouragingly and ends up in the usual dollop of disappointment. RF noise is a frequent discussion topic amongst radio amateurs. A proliferation of electronics has cluttered and complicated the noise environment. It's not just power lines anymore. Unless isolated from civilization, most hams experience RF interference, or RFI, sometimes without even realizing it, although spectrum scopes on modern transceivers make RF noise much more apparent. Various approaches to address the apparently worsening noise floor have been taken around the world, some addressing lax regulation. We all want to enhance our ability to copy the weak stations by increasing our signal-to-noise ratio, said Alan Higby, Kilo Zero Alpha Victor, in an article for the National Contest Journal entitled Tracking RFI with an SDR, one source at a time. Alan suggests practical methods for individual radio amateurs to improve their own noise environment. We can do that by reducing the noise on each band that we operate. Lowering the noise floor increases the relative signal strength of weak stations. Those of us in typical residential environments find that locating and eliminating RFI sources is a never-ending process. It's much like weeding a garden. And the International Amateur Radio Union warns against complacency. Radio amateurs cannot sit back because even if the desired noise limits are agreed, there are many rogue manufacturers and dealers who will happily sell noise-generating devices, leaving out filter circuits to cut costs, they said in a statement. The IARU has urged member societies to get involved. In America, the regulator, the Federal Communications Commission, known as the FCC, has an advisory group called the Technological Advisory Council. It initiated an inquiry in 2016, looking into changes and trends to the radio spectrum noise floor to determine whether noise is increasing, and if so, by how much. The advisory group had encouraged the FCC to undertake a comprehensive noise study way back in 1998 and cautioned the FCC against implementing new spectrum management techniques or initiatives without first concluding one. 
In 2017, the FCC Office of Engineering and Technology invited comments on a series of spectrum management questions. In its responses, the American National Amateur Radio Society, the ARRL, took the opportunity to strongly urge the FCC to reinstate the 2016 noise floor study, which, the ARRL asserted, was terminated before it even got started. The ARRL urged the FCC to depart from the traditional regulatory model that places limits only on transmitters and called for a holistic approach to transmitter and receiver performance. Greg Lapin, November 9 Golf Lima, represents the ARRL on the advisory group and chairs the ARRL RF Safety Committee. Perhaps the best result that we obtained was an indication that illegal devices, mainly LED lights, were in circulation and the Enforcement Bureau agreed to look into it, he reported. We never heard what they found out. But recently, I was buying some LED bulbs over the internet from a site in Texas and they were selling non-FCC-approved lights and didn't seem to care. Lapin said his complaint went nowhere and the advisory group's focus appears to have been nudged in the direction of addressing 5G issues. You are listening to Southgate Vibes with me, Steve, G4 Hotel Papa Echo. When I was working in Trinidad, I parked my hire car next to a major satellite uplink site. On trying to leave later, I found the car's key fob wouldn't open the doors. Oh yeah, we get that all the time in this neighbourhood, said my host. Heaven knows what power the uplink could have been running. But what was the cause of a similar incident in leafy North Hertfordshire this week? The UK regulator Ofcom sent an engineer out just 30 minutes after receiving a report of interference to unprotected license-exempt devices, and they say they treated the case as high priority. Many customers in a supermarket car park could not use their key fobs to open their cars. In their report, Ofcom said... Ofcom's Spectrum Management Centre, based in Baldock, Hertfordshire, provides a 24-hour service to industry and to members of the public by monitoring the radio spectrum. This service also allows people to report radio interference. On Friday the 26th of February, an officer from Hertfordshire Police contacted Ofcom to make them aware of the problems at the supermarket car park. Car key fobs, like lots of other everyday technology, use radio spectrum to operate around an about 433 MHz. On rare occasions, faulty or unauthorised equipment can interfere with nearby technology and prevent it from working properly, such as in the case of these customers' fobs. Due to the nature and scale of the problem, Ofcom assigned this as a high-priority case and sent out a local engineer who was soon on the scene to investigate the problem. He used a spectrum analyzer, a piece of equipment which measures the airwaves and detects any radio signals that shouldn't be there. However, at that particular moment, the problem wasn't actually happening, and customers were able to lock and unlock their vehicles successfully. So, Ofcom asked staff at the supermarket to get in touch if any more customers reported further issues over the weekend.
Transporting ourselves back to the early years of the Second World War now, and the radio airwaves were thick with much more than jolly music. Propaganda, instructions to spies, jamming, and the transmissions designed to mislead. Step forward, the incredible work of the BBC Monitoring Service. In 1941, British Pathé produced a newsreel about the radio monitoring work carried out by the BBC Monitoring Service. A very stiff gentleman says, Many of you listen in to foreign broadcasts, and listening in Britain is free. But when you switch off, you needn't worry that what comes in over the air isn't being checked and reported to the right quarter. It is. The BBC has taken on many new jobs in wartime, and one of them is to keep a sleepless watch night and day on the broadcasts of the world. And the commentary carries on. Every 24 hours, we pick up and record something like 500,000 words from hundreds of different transmitters, friendly, neutral and enemy, in a score of different countries. This is done by our monitoring service, working in close collaboration with government departments. The newsreel features one of the BBC monitoring huts and shows the national HRO receivers and wax cylinder recorders. Well, if that's whetted your appetite, go to YouTube and type in Monitoring of BBC Radio Broadcasts. Take care, though. This is likely to lead you into many other remarkable newsreels detailing the BBC of yesteryear. Well, that's it for this time. You've been listening to Southgate Vibes, stories about amateur radio and the world of communications from Southgate Amateur Radio News. You can find these stories and many more daily reports at our website, southgatearc.org. Don't forget, we'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch by sending an email to vibes at southgatearc.org. So until next time, this is Steve Richards, G4 Hotel Papa Echo, signing off and wishing you best 7-3.